Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. Today, my guest is the CMO of Sales Loft, Sydney Sloan. And somehow over the years, Sydney and I have never sat down to chat, but we hit it off today. And we chatted all about the realities of jumping into an organization and being passionate about the cause, about what they're trying to accomplish. And she shares how she found a company that was really gonna take off, and that is Sales Loft. They've really taken off, partly because of what they do, of course, but also because of the realities of how account-based marketing and personalized one-to-one selling is so important to all of us. And we hit on this throughout our discussion today. Now, at the same time, if you look at Sydney's history, you'd look back and kind of wonder like, is this someone who's gonna kind of stay in a comfortable big company for a long time? But she shares in a vulnerable way how she was laid off from an opportunity at Adobe where she had been for quite some time and it pushed her to take on a career trajectory that I'm sure she's got no regrets about anymore. The second half of our chat, we dig into the importance of customer marketing and customer onboarding and what can you do in the marketing org to create better alignment with not just the data, but also the programs that you do to get the best customer experience. This is a great episode. Here's my chat with Sydney Sloan. Sydney, thanks for finding time here. I'm excited to unpack a whole bunch of different areas of your career, how you think of the buyer journey. Let's start with how you landed at SalesLoft as their CMO. It's been two and a half fantastic years at SalesLoft. It's my second CMO role. And I got some great advice from friends. They're like, on your second one, make sure you pick you know, the right one. So I spent about six months. I knew the company I was working for before was going to be sold. And so I spent about six months talking to VC firms and taking interviews. And once I finally figured out the category I wanted to be in, which was sales tech, I started specializing on, um, on different companies. And, and funny enough, I interviewed at Outreach and Salesoft and Clary, all fantastic companies. Wow. All at the same time? <laughs> all at the same time. They're all hiring CMOs. And <laughs> um, so it was really interesting. And I just, you know, I, ha- I had to go where I felt the culture fit was the best uh, for me personally. But I think, you know, the space itself was fantastic. And I was really excited about it. So, so tell me a little bit more about focusing on a space. And, and to your point, you had chatted with VCs, probably understand like where did they think investment was going? Where did they think growth was going to happen? What was it about this space that, that you were so passionate about to, to even interview with a few competitors? Yeah. What, what I was looking at, it was I was kind of in my mind, I was thinking I was going up and down the stack, like how deep of a technology play. I'd come from open source content management. I've always kind of been more of the end user facing application and less what I would call plumbing. So not, you know, not into the security world and some of the, the stuff that gets really deep techy. But I tried. I went deeper into the stack and, and talked to some companies. And then I was going what I was call, would call up the stack in the application layer. 
And, you know, marketing, as you know, is pretty crowded and I advise for some companies. And so I was like, oh, I don't know if I really wanted to go there. And then I just started, I had taken on SDRs in my last company and got exposed to some of the sales technology and saw kind of where it was going and what the opportunity was and the similarities to where marketing technology had been six, seven years ago. And so I was like, yeah, this, this looks like a fun place to be. And that's how I settled in on kind of the category of sales technology. That's interesting. And, and I, I mean, we'll hit more on buyer journey, but I'm, I'm curious on your perspective, being a marketer, marketing sales tech, you know, as you said, you had been an advisor in marketing companies, you know, Marketo is, is one of them. That's an amazing company. And, and you were there at a, at a, you know, pivotal time for them, for sure. Uh, you know, whispering in their ear, you know, did you envision that we would get as aligned as we are today between sales and marketing when you joined, perhaps, you know, when you already joined sales off, that was already happening. But, you know, when did you start to have that theory? When I joined SalesOft, what I thought was marketing sales technology was going to make me a better marketer because I could be more empathetic to sales and understand sales better. Although I've always considered myself a sales-oriented, a go-to-market-oriented marketer. And I think it's just I spent so many years in product marketing working on go-to-market with sales. You know, it, it's really around account-based. I think account-based strategies, and I'm a big fan of account-based, and I've implemented it three times you know, is, is when you can get marketing and sales together and it's not easy. And, um, it never, you know, it continues as, as sales gets more educated on account based and marketers get more educated on integrating the, our workflows with sales and working arm in arm versus, you know, a funnel, you know, I think that's getting better. Um, but I didn't, it's, it's accelerated. I'm happy to see it accelerating, but there's still a lot of companies out there that, you know, are just waking up to seeing sales engagement or marketing as a different opportunity to engage with sales. The bigger the companies, the harder it is. You know, I think it's easier on the, on the smaller side of the market and the larger side of the market there. You know, it's, it's hard. It's hard to bring those two groups together and change. Interesting. So I, I want to take a little bit of a different look at, at your past and how you got here. If, if people were to look you up, they'd see you had an amazingly long tenure at Adobe. And sometimes when, when we look at, at marketers who commit to a company for that long, we start to look at them as a lifer, uh, for good or bad. You know, and Adobe is a company that I've heard you can be a lifer and continue to find new challenges. But what was it that, that said to you, it's time to move on? And, and you know, because I think otherwise, sometimes we think, okay, am I going to make that leap to a CMO after a certain amount of time? Yeah, I, I think when you count up all the years, because uh, I was acquired into Adobe in 2001, but technically uh, on the products I worked on as well, it was like 16 years, I want to say. And, and then what you'll see in the resume too, is that every three years I changed roles. So that's what made it exciting to me. I, I say I grew up at Adobe because I, I worked in different product areas. I marketed to different personas. I did different kinds of marketing, mostly product, but also introduced customer marketing, um, got to acquire a bunch of companies. So it was really interesting. Every, you know, I, I was always challenged and it was a great company to work for. When I left, it wasn't my choice. So I was part of a pretty big restructuring. And so they went from five business units to two and my services were no longer required. 
hardest day of my life. I'll never forget it. You know, getting a call, not thinking that I would be impacted because I was part working on kind of the go forward strategy. And uh, boy, it threw me for a tailspin for a while. It took me probably a couple of weeks just to even realize what had happened after 17 years. Um, and then, you know, trying to figure out what's what's next. But I didn't know that about you. I appreciate you sharing, and and obviously those are fragile times for all of us. And you know, especially you know this past year, I think a lot of marketers have been thrown those curveballs given the pandemic and and the challenges within different different businesses. How did you then use that to reset your career trajectory? I mean, was that a turning point for you to say, okay, great, I'm I'm gunning for a CMO role now. I need to redefine my path, or was it? Was it more, I just got to get back in an organization that I believe in? Um, well, it's kind of funny. My my uh, One of my buddies and I decided that we were going to get out of tech and we started writing a business plan for a travel adventure company. And he went to pitch the idea to the founder of, of Hootsuite and ended up getting hired <laughs> to run no marketing way. for Hootsuite. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I should probably go back to tech. But, you know, we had we had fun kind of playing around with this with this idea. It was hard because I was living in Ottawa, another fellow Canadian, and you know there weren't a lot of companies like Adobe in Ottawa. And so as I was looking, it was just like didn't you know feel like it gave me the upward trajectory or the level of global responsibility that I had had. And so my family decided, you know, worked with um, the, the kids and their dad, and to move to California. And as soon as I opened up the aperture to look at. Uh, Silicon Valley based roles. I was like, I couldn't even keep them straight. It was 2011 and things were hot. And so I did a similar thing as I did before. It was kind of like, what kind of tech do I want to work in? And I wanted to be in SaaS. I wanted to do customer marketing. So I had been evangelizing my last role at Adobe was creating a customer experience uh, marketing function. And so I wanted to do that role. I'd been marketing it and I'm like, I want to become a practitioner and I want to actually do that implementation. And so I was interviewing at Salesforce and Box and Jive and ended up at Jive. Amazing. Amazing. So let's fast forward to, to that first CMO opportunity. I know you talked about thinking a lot about the second. At what point did you realize you had to, you know, either you were ready or you had to make that jump after, you know, a career of, you know, 20 plus years in marketing between that previous op and Adobe alone? I had decided that my career path, I wanted to career path to a CMO probably a year after I got to Jive. And it was hard because I had some really cool opportunities twice with LinkedIn and it was such a good company. And I really enjoyed who I was meeting there and, and, and both times, you know, got into it and was like, no, I need to, I need to stick to you know, we've tested. It's like, no, I, I need to stick this. I want, I want to be a CMO and then accepting, okay, well, what does that mean in small company? And so I started working with a couple of recruiters on smaller companies. Um, I figured like, you know, series A or B, you know, I wanted them to have customers. I wanted them to have product market fit. And then, you know, was it a category again or a technology that I believed in? Cause that for me, I have to like it, I take it personally. Um, and so I have to believe in what I'm marketing. And so I, I think, you know, this is one of those things where luck played a little bit of role um, in it, what do they call it? luck? It's like timing and uh, taking action or something. Um, that's not it, but there's a good, a good analogy <laughs> to luck. I, I got connected to a company called Alfresco and 
um, I had never been a VP. I'd only been a senior up to a senior director and Doug Dennerline was the CEO and he and I connected. And I think the thing that I had going for me is I knew the industry really well. It was content management and I had been around content management my whole career. So I wasn't worried at all about going into that category. And my challenge would be the CMO role. He, he told me this after the fact, they questioned, well, should we just bring her on as a VP? She's never been a CMO. And they were convinced that, hey, if we're asking her to take the job, she deserves the title. And so that's how I got my first role. There you go. Key, key is someone believing in you and believing what you can do in that opportunity, but obviously the impression you made there. Uh, this has been great already, Sydney. We're going to take a short break here on the marketer's journey. We'll be back to talk about the buyer journey side right after this break. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I love how deliberate Sydney has been about choosing her next stages of her career, finding companies where she believed not just in what they were doing, but where industries were going and doing the research of talking to venture capitalists and really understanding where the trends might be headed. And in fact, one of the things that I often do when I'm sitting down with a candidate for a job is trying to understand if they have a thesis behind their career. And one of the questions that you can ask yourself or ask a candidate the same is, tell me about other companies that you're interviewing with. And it's interesting sometimes to see if there's a trend. Are these other companies in your space other companies of similar size trying to solve for different problems. I believe that when someone has a thesis, they'll be more bought into the goal of what you're trying to accomplish at the end of the day. So we chatted a lot about the importance of sales and marketing alignment, but I think there's another equation when we talk about alignment that's coming into play these days, and that's how we onboard a customer, right? Once they rang that bell inside of our sales floor, what's the next bell that we're going to ring? And I know this is an area you're hot on, Sydney. Yeah. When I think about the buyer journey or even the, the customer journey, um, I think it's the one that is uh, the most important and the most forgotten. And that really is, you know, this wonderful process that you get as the marketing courts you and sales does this great job to get you to sign on the dotted line, and then you get handed over. And so how do, how do companies think about the onboarding process for customers and what they make customers do? And a lot of times, the people that you sold to are not the people that own the application day to day in the long term. So you almost have to rethink about what is how do you onboard that customer? And 
Um, there's some great data on the first 90 days. Like if they have a pleasurable experience, they're more likely to stay your customer. If they have a poor experience, they're more likely to churn. And we know in the world of SaaS, especially in these days that like churn is the new revenue. And, you know, you, you really have to think about how do you uh, keep your customers. I do have a couple of pieces of advice that I've learned over the years. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, and I think that, first of all, try and become a customer. So the whole idea of secret shopper, you know, watch or interview or shadow what an onboarding process looks like. And you'll quickly see that you ask the customer to do a lot of things. So how do you make it easier on the customer to set up their admin, get their keys, whatever it is that takes it to turn it on and, and kick off the, the professional services engagement? You want to capture all of the contacts in the account. So many times the contacts are just the sales contacts and not the day-to-day -day contacts. And so think about your personas as a marketer. Think about your customer personas are the people that you're going to um, want to communicate to ongoing. So who's the admin? Who's the financial contact? Who's, who are your day-to-day -day champions? Um, and make sure you're capturing those in the onboarding process so you can align your communication strategies to them. And so maybe have a, a newsletter for admins or a communication that goes to admins, like preparing for a big product launch versus the champions, which might be um, user group programs or things like that. And if you're mindful to capture those, it'll allow you to serve the customer much better as a marketer in the long term. That's great advice. I think it comes back to your earlier point that the person we sell to is not necessarily always our champion or involved altogether. Uh, and the more we spread throughout that organization, the better retention we're going to have because these days we know turnovers quick with our champions, even if they stay intact. It's, especially at sales. So, so we have it at Salesloft. So you think about an SDR or a salesperson in their tenure. So we have to think about always onboarding. Um, and that's something that, you know, is, is new a challenge for me to solve, which is cool. Absolutely. Right. I'm just curious, just in passing quickly, what system of record are you using to track all these users? Is this a marketing automation system? Is this more CRM based? In, in, in your experience, are you using like a customer, you know, advocacy program, like a Gainsight or something of that um, sort? We use, uh, we use Salesforce as our uh, system of record. We, we actually use Salesloft for all of the communication. So instead of a Gainsight, we've, we've throttled that in Salesloft. So all of our communication cadences and how we track health and triggers that we have, it's pretty cool because um, we can just attached to our customer usage dashboards and based on different behaviors can automatically fire off cadences, like if their usage is going down or if they're not running, you know, all their products that they bought. So, and, and, and we're doing that in conjunction also with marketing automation. So we serve to, it's kind of complex, but I think many companies might be out there where we have an enterprise customer, which we serve in one way. And then we have smaller customers, which we try to do a little bit more automation so the larger tier customers, we use Salesoft to do the personalized one-to-one -one communication. And then we've designed Marketo to do the one-to-many communications for the broader set of customers that may not have the customer success manager that's directly um, assigned to them. So we, we, we do it both ways. That makes a lot of sense. 
Okay, great. Let's let's keep going here. I, I took you off track. I don't know if that was one or two of those pieces of advice, but we had this idea of the secret shopper and who who else is shopping on behalf of that buyer. What else you got for us? Yeah, the third one is um, to try and automate the onboarding. So if there is a single application, and I, I've done this before where they, you only take them through one experience. So you don't ask them to go log into your knowledge base and then go into another system to get their keys. Like how do you construct along with the customer success team, usually a single application that helps them do the onboarding that delivers their keys, that uh, gives them the permissions and parameters. And so we we built an application. They just had to fill it out once and then it put them in all the right systems um, without them having to go and log in. So I know it can be expensive to have like a single sign-on solution for your customers, but it's the right way to serve them. And so we're doing that right now too, is like, and I'm sure many CMOs have come in or marketers have come in and like realize that in your customer success organization, they do have all these different applications and you're sending your customer in all these different places. And it's like, how do you bring that together? How do you design a single customer journey that thinks about, they come to my website, how do I want to place them in the right spot? So using federated search to be able to ask a question and then deliver them. Do they go to the community? Do they go to the, you know, the university LMS application? Can they be served out of the knowledge base? Is it a case that they need to uh, log? And, and how do you make that an integrated experience for them? So I, I, again, from a, a tracking perspective, as you talk about this, we can learn a lot about our customers. We can optimize the path or the buyer journey that they're going to go through when we have that single system and it's all funneling back. Is that something, again, that you're tracking in a combination of sales loft and the math and the CRM? Or, or where do you kind of look to understand and, and learn the buyer journey as, as, as someone continues to, uh, to advance? I think it's an area, at least from my exposure. So if other people are out there, I, you know, call me, I'd love to learn more, but that we're still uncovering as marketers that now we think about the, the buyer and the customer experience in totality. And we're the, in a unique position to be able to help the company lead what the customer experience is across all those different teams and phases and really championing the customer, especially in SaaS, this is what makes it interesting, right? But even in other industries where you're wanting to be the repeat customer or you're trying to sell them another product, you know, just thinking about how do you track engagement across different systems? And so right now you asked it a tactical question. We, we capture engagement in two places. We capture it in Marketo, so, um, so we look at and we help our customer success team with all their programs. They're running webinars and training. And so everything that, that our customer success team does, we try to use Marketo as the communication vehicle and the program codes. So we're capturing levels of engagement across accounts because we know if they're more engaged, they're less likely to churn. And so that can be a trigger. We can also intercept that with usage data that, we, um, that we're tracking and we use Looker to do that. Um, so we can cross correlate those. And then um, we recently came out with a new capability in sales loft that looks at account engagement as well. So, so the renewals team or the customer success team can look at their book of accounts and they can see how engaged they are based on communications that they're having in the sales loft platform. Now we need to figure out like, how do we stitch all those things together in a way that makes sense? And 
And even then piping in, I just had my demo of Demand Base One and seeing some of the stuff that they're capturing, making it even more interesting of first party and third party data also piped into that. So now how do you do your customer engagement scores as, you know, how, how many people are using the product in the account? How many people are engaging with your content? And then how many people are uh, engaging outside of that? One last thing. I know this is long-winded. No, it's good. But I do love what G2 is doing. And, and we, we use this like in the renewals process. And you can also stitch this in with a demand base or a Sixth Sense, whatever application you're using, to be able to trigger, are your customers starting to look at your competitor and, and so if you're running competitive programs in an account-based platform, or if you're on G2 and have paid for that capability where it will tell you if, if someone that's in your account list is looking at a competitor, then how does that flag that so you can be proactive as soon as possible to make sure that um, they're not doing it to consider leaving you? Absolutely. So I've got one last question for you here. And, and uh you know, we've been chatting here in the end about a lot of technology and the need to centralize and understand what system, you know, we should trust. I've had this debate with my team in the past as Salesforce, as, as, sorry, Salesforce, also Salesforce, but sales loft customers of who should own that technology, right? Like we, you know, we hear the, the name of it as sales and the same thing was with Salesforce. We always thought, well, that's sales tech. And it should be owned by sales operations or a sales enablement type of role. But I've often advocated for the, the idea that this is marketing tech. And, and you gave the example earlier of using Marketo for the one to few or one to many, and then sales off more the one to one. The worst that any of us ever have is when we get an email the same day coming, obviously from a Marketo and a sales loft. And you're like, yeah, talk to each other, guys. I've advocated for it living inside the marketing org so that these things can be ironed out and we have the two in mind. Where do you see the trend going on that ownership of you know, sales operations technology? Um, I think the trend in the tech world right now is around revenue operations. And so that's right. where we see a lot of the energy and people trying to figure out how to bring together systems, revenue operations, for sure being sales tech and the customer success teams. And then does marketing become a part of that or not? And, you know, it's debated. I've said, hey, if, if, if it makes sense, I'm, you know, I'm open to that. Right now, we, we don't marketing, but, but they're dotted lined. Um, so we have an operations group that meets that talks about the systems and the challenges, right? We all, it's, First of all, always starts with data, right? So what's our data strategy and who's keeping it clean and who owns it, who owns contacts, who owns accounts. And, and it even gets a little bit harder too. And I know that a lot of companies, you know, they start to talk about data lakes and having business analysts own that. And, and I would advocate that that be right now in revenue operations for the most part, because I think there's so much going on there that people are trying to figure out, but it's interesting you know, marketing has the experience in doing this already. So how do we help coach them? Like, is there a chance is going back to the beginning of our conversation for sales and marketing alignment? Well, now it's revenue and marketing alignment and is marketing part of revenue. And that can be debated as well. But I do think you have to have operations alignment between the teams. And I'm not personally wanting to own the revenue data. I'm good with 
taking on like, hey, we'll own accounts, contacts, uh, account selection, keeping all of that clean. Um, and so that's our role in that integrated team. And then collectively, we work on processes and systems. That's great. Great, great way to look at it. I mean, there's no right answer to this. Uh, I'm sure people listening along right now are nodding their head or shaking their head or, you know, taking notes as, as we go. We're going to let them take a short break. We'll keep you around, Sydney, for one last question, a little bit on how you disconnect amid all these things going through your mind right back here on The Marketer's Journey. I'm obsessed with this area that Sydney's talking about, the importance of the experience that we give our customers right out of the gate. And in fact, at Uberflip, this is a, the theme for us for our 2021 year is thinking about time to value. And we define that as how do we get someone up and running to the point where they see value faster? A lot of us know the famous examples of Twitter trying to get us to follow seven people as a success metric to know that that's when they'll see success. But you know, for all of us with more sophisticated offerings, there's a lot of things that we have to hit on to get you there. We have to make sure, as Sydney says, that they're engaging in different content, that they have access to different training. These are all things that we can focus on to ensure the best start possible. That best start is likely to lead to better retention rates, better upgrade potential with accounts, better success overall with our customers. So Sydney, we've unpacked a adventurous career. We've talked about the buyer journey and how complex that is with all these systems. With all this in the balance, how do you make time for your own personal balance? I, I mean, it's hard now, right? We we live, eat, work, home. I, I've spent my career on the road too. So being home for eight months, I, I last time I did that, it was when I had my children. And so I think there's two things. One thing is um, first at work I, and as leaders, for those leaders out there, making sure that we empower our teams to take breaks. And I think you have to lead by example as well. So we talk about that a lot at Sales Loft. And so we've we've given rest days. So we gave every every other Friday off through the summer. And we learned through that. I mean, because you, you, you know, you debate then, well, do you also have to reduce workload? But no, people still were able to, to get the work done that they needed. And then going into the fall, we've done a rest day and then a focus day. Every other week, we either have a rest day, which is a, a, a free day, or a focus day, which is no meetings. Um, so no Zooms, no, meet, no meetings. You, can't, you can just sit and focus and, and work uninterrupted. Um, people have really liked the focus days, but what we have learned is it's still not vacation. It's still not taking a break. So people are like, I appreciate the time, but I also need to be given the permission, even though we shouldn't have to, but the permission to actually take time off and, and like you would a vacation. For me personally, the things that I do to try and take a break, um, you know, I have two kids, so that's, you know, taking them to soccer practice and things like that. I force, you know, I have, I have to leave the house at three o'clock because I, you know, luckily they can still do their sports. I'm looking forward to the holidays. So I've really gotten into being generous. This has been a super tough year. And so I'm having a lot of fun thinking about, you know, people in my life and how can I create really cool, thoughtful experiences for them. Um, and I'm just, gosh, I, 
my whole living room is full of presents. I'm writing handwritten cards and, and just trying to make it extra special. And so that's how I've been keeping myself busy doing other things that makes me feel good. Sounds like you've got the right focus on balance like we teed off there. Sydney, this whole episode has been filled with great advice, including that last point. I thank you so much for joining us today. And for everyone who's tuned in and joined us, if this is the first podcast like this you've tuned in on, every week I'm getting to chat with a C-level leader and everyone's story is different. I hope one day you get to listen and share your own story on here. Until next time, a big thanks to Sydney Sloan. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to the Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify at uberflip.com slash podcast or anywhere you listen to podcasts.